Hello, welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, Cosmo Macero and I are talking business and news on 321 Go. Hugh Drummond talking to Stephen Johnston, the managing director of the Boston Harbor Hotel, about all of their summer offerings and their newest penthouse suite. And in two minutes with Tom, our CEO, Tom O'Neill, is talking about the continued business boom in Boston. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three important topics in the world of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, banks and retailers aren't just tracking your financial habits these days, they're tracking the actual movement of your fingers and hands as you use your smartphone. And... The Boston Globe leads a historic nationwide effort among more than 200 newspapers to oppose President Trump's alleged war on the free press. Finally, an astonishing theft of a commercial jet by a suicidal airline employee raises new and very different questions about airport security. We'll discuss and hear from our resident transportation safety expert, Peter Goltz. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Kyan, it's great to be with you as always. Thank you for having me. All right then, let's get to it. Okay, first off, this one's from the Someone is Certainly Always Watching You department to fight fraud. A growing number of banks and merchants are tracking visitors' physical movements as they use websites and apps. Visitors meaning to their online sites. Some use the technology only to weed out automated attacks and suspicious transactions, which is a good thing. It's a, it's a stepped-up security measure to identify if there's unauthorized activity on your bank or other app, uh, other financial services app. But others are going significantly further. Uh, Royal Bank of Scotland is, is one of the few banks that's actually talked about this. They're using, they're using a New York company called Biocatch, which, which has developed this, um, this software and developed this system. It can detect imposters with 99% accuracy, which is terrific. If you flip that around, it means they know exactly what you do and how you manage your phone really freaks me out. It is kind of freaky. Because what people need to really understand about this is this is not just about what you click on, it's how you click on it. It's they're watching and studying and collecting your behavior, which is just I don't know. It I understand protecting our our, you know, data and and security and I think that's really good, but there's always a flip side, right? When there's when there's a big brother element of anything, there's always a flip side. Yeah. And the flip side of this is the cyber thieves that are coming in and stealing all of this data. Correct. And they're not worried about whether or not we're imposters. They just want our information. So that's one thing. The other is simply just how companies use it. Now, the New York Times quoted uh, Jennifer Lynch. She's a senior lawyer from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That's a thing. What we've seen across the board with technology, she says, is that the more data that's collected by companies, the more they'll try to find uses for it. It's a very small leap from using this to detect fraud to using this to learn very 
private information about you. You know, I, I, I don't think you can have one without the other. So it's how much, to your point, how much of a safety net do you want on fraud and what, what privacy are you willing to give up for? Because this is a significant um, compromise, potentially, um, when, when you think about it. If, 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 you, if, 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 if your device can measure how you use it and the, the movements of your fingers, it's pretty significant. I think the good ways outweighs the bad. I'm not entirely positive. You know, one of the other things this article talks about is that there are major data breaches every single day, many of which we never hear about. And that's really concerning. So we do want to be making sure that we're taking every effort to protect ourselves, of course, and we want companies to be doing that too. We live in a very, very digital world. Um, everything's online. Yeah. And if we're not if, if someone's not looking out for that and protecting it, then my guess is the, the flip side would be even worse. Yeah. All right. All right, let's talk about the free press. Historic initiative, historic endeavor. Thursday, August 16th, the Boston Globe has spent several weeks organizing this initiative coordinating over 300 newspapers, news organizations nationwide to write editorials in support of the free press, in support of free media, in the, in the First Amendment, in the face of withering, consistent, repetitive attacks on the press, on the First Amendment, in my opinion, but on the press by President Trump as the enemy of the people, Today's the big day. Voices across the country in hundreds of newspapers saying, hey, you know what? This is the First Amendment. This is the free press. And we are not the enemy of the people. Cayenne, how did the president respond on Thursday, August 16th? You know, Cosmo, not well. He didn't respond well. I don't know that any of us are very surprised. A lot of his tweets don't actually make that much sense. Um, you can certainly tell it got to him, got under his skin. He accused the Globe and other news, newspapers of being in collusion. Yes. The word that's on his mind. You know, it's funny that he chose that word. He randomly just shouts, well, shouts in his tweet, he randomly declares, prove it. And no one knows what he actually is determined, saying we need to prove. Yes, and honesty wins, but we don't know what that means either. Yeah. Um, I consider this a very important and historic day, not just for media, but for the country. What do you think? I think it's amazing. Um, I, I'm really proud to live in, in in a state today that was leading the charge on this. Kudos to the Boston Globe, to Marjorie Pritchard, um, for really taking this on. And what's great and what, what gets lost in all of this is this was not a political ploy. And so many people are going to chalk it up to that, particularly on the right. They've got papers that are liberal. They've got papers that are conservative. They've got dailies. They've got weeklies. The idea that the press is the enemy of the people is not a, it should not be political. No. The press is not supposed to be political. The idea of reporting, um, but we have a president who has said that the press is his enemy, the enemy of the people, the enemy of our country. Um, I think they're dangerous words. Tom and I talked about this last week on Two Minutes with Tom. Um, it's, it's scary to think if he were to get his way, what our media landscape would look like, and every forty, how many states 
participated 47 in this? out of the 50 states plus Puerto Rico are currently represented on the list. In one way or the other, one that mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, 14 of the papers in Massachusetts, 16 of the papers in Florida, uh, and 12 of the papers in New York. So those three states um, seem to be the, the leaders. And in, ter- in terms of ideology as, as defined by their editorial pages, which is important because that's what we're talking about here. Yes. The editorial pages, conservative, liberal, middle of the road, you know, uh, they're all over the place. Yeah, and I think that that was really important when um, in doing this to do it well. It had to be that because I think this was Marjorie Pritchett and the Globe saying this is not a political problem. This is just a problem that we have in our country right now, that we have a president who's essentially waging war on the media and the, the fourth estate that's there to keep him honest and not just him, um, you know, and the Globe talks about this in their editorial. They are to question the White House down to the town council. I think you're right. I think it's an important day. <clears throat> um, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a terrific initiative. It was a great idea. I, I agree. You know, the, the Boston Globe editorials page, Marjorie Pritchard, the editor, um, I think some really smart PR person ought to say, hey, let's turn August 16th into National Free Press Day from Ooh. here going forward. Are you that smart PR could person? Be, or it could be. It could be. <laughs> uh, I'm a PR person. I'm not sure how smart I am. But either way. He's um, smart, folks. He's it's, smart. It's an, it's, it's an important day. And, um, and the president has responded as I think we would expect. It's a Free Press Thursday, Thursday, August 16th, 2018. A historic day uh, in American media uh, and American public affairs. Okay, this past week an airline employee took off in a stolen plane at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. Um, and, and, and it was, you know, a, a very unusual set of circumstances that ended obviously in tragedy. Um, and it has really placed into focus sort of a new set of issues around aviation airplane security that we haven't really encountered before. Now, let's hear from O'Neill & Associates' own Peter Goltz, our resident aviation safety expert, actually a renowned aviation safety expert and former NTSB official. So, Peter, you've worked in and around the airline industry for a long time. How does a rather large turboprop aircraft take off a major airport's runway without being noticed? Well, this is truly an extraordinary event. I can't remember uh, a similar sort of event uh, in my career. So I think there's been a lot of a lot of discussion about how this comes to be and how this got to this point. Uh, one of them being, is this more about workplace violence and mental instability policies and programs? What kind of clearances and checks do airlines do related to these issues? Well, every every airport has a series of clearances that allow employees uh, and others to get into uh, different parts of, of its operations. And uh, this individual, Mr. Russell, was cleared under the airside uh, operations area. He was a, a baggage handler. He was also cleared to uh, tow aircraft. He was cleared to go into aircraft while they were on the ground. So uh, there are other levels of clearance. For instance, you have to have special clearance to enter the fueling area, the fuel tank farm. 
So, so this gentleman had the, uh, the background checks that are completed once every two years, uh, and had a, to, uh, essentially access the aircraft while it was in line. And what changes do you foresee coming as a result of this security and safety lapse? Will it have an well, effect? I think, I, yeah, I, I think people are going to review two things. One is, is they will review uh, the airport's procedures. They will review the air carrier's procedures uh, on how uh, these air, you know, this airline was, was parked in line. It was a maintenance line that was not due to fly uh, for the weekend. Uh, most air, airports have that kind of situation. Most air carriers have a large number of aircraft being maintained on weekends. So it was not unusual that, that a plane like this, this be sitting in line. Uh, so they will review procedures. They'll, they'll review the process of how this guy accessed the plane, how he took it off. And secondly, they'll review their employee assistance program. Uh, people in their background checks, there, there is not a mental health component. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be reviewed. But, uh, and I'm sure they're going to discuss seriously uh, with their other employees how each one has to watch out for each other. Uh, I don't know if there are any warning signals uh, from this gentleman's life. His, uh, his relatives uh, and friends seem to be genuinely shocked that this has occurred. Uh, one of the things we don't want to do is, is have a, uh, a rapid response that has unintended consequences to the system. Uh, airline systems, both on at airports uh, and uh, in the air are complex and uh, actions have, can have unintended consequences. For example, uh, following 9-11, uh, a decision was made to make the cockpit of uh, commercial air, aircraft impregnable. You cannot enter the cockpit uh, from the outside once it's locked. That unfortunately uh, didn't work out when a pilot flying for the Lufthansa subsidiary German Wings committed suicide with a plane full of people. No one could enter the cockpit to prevent him uh, from from completing that that terrible act. So we need to be careful what decisions we make, how we change the process to make sure that we're not having an unintended consequence. All right, good analysis there by Peter Goltz talking to our own Cayenne Isaacs. And Cayenne, as, as, as Peter says in his conversation with you, th there's going to be a whole set of industry review that's done here because of this. Mm-hmm. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Okay. Okay, then. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Cayenne, it's been a pleasure as always. It's been entertaining per, per usual. Indeed. 321 Go is recorded in Studio 108 just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero.
That's all for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Senior Vice President Hugh Drummond and the Managing Director of the Boston Harbor Hotel. And hello, listeners. Uh, I'm here with Stephen Johnston, who is Managing Director of the Boston Harbor Hotel, located at Rose Wharf, uh, which is overlooking Boston Harbor. Uh, hi, Stephen. Good afternoon. How are you, Hugh? Uh, good. Very good. Pleasure to uh, be with you today, and thanks for coming to our podcast. You're very welcome. Um, location, location, location. Um, this is what the Boston Harbor Hotel is all about. That's right. And it wasn't always that way, really. Uh, Norman Leventhal, who developed the Boston Harbor Hotel, uh, gosh, 31 years ago now, uh, definitely had great foresight. Uh, as you know, it was once somewhat divorced from the city because the highway ran, uh, the elevated highway ran right in, in front of the front doors. And uh, that was problematic for the hotel. You know, a lot of people didn't go there because you had to go under the highway to get to it. So it was separated from the city. And uh, also, as you looked out towards the seaport district, which now, of course, is, is bustling and exploding, there was not much over there. Um, lots of parking, but not a lot else. So really, the hotel, Rose Wharf, the whole complex was on the, on the periphery of Boston. But it was uh, the foresight of, of Norman and others who, uh, who decided to build it, quite a unique building and an architecturally wonderful building. And they knew, I guess, that one day the highway would end up underground, which is where it is now underneath the Greenway. And uh, so it's no more divorced from the city, it's right there. And then additionally, the Seaport District has expanded significantly. So we really feel that the Boston Harbor Hotel is, is, is pretty central to Boston, whereas 30 years ago it really wasn't. Right. And the uh, you mentioned the Greenway, the Rose Candy Greenway and, and the Harbor Walk um, yes. are two public pathways that, that really make it easier for, for people to oh, enjoy. Absolutely. We're, we're blessed. Front, front and back, to be honest with you. The Harbor Walk uh, just goes from strength to strength. It gets longer and longer. I forget how long it is at this point. I think it's 19 miles or something. I'm sure I'll be corrected on that number. Uh, but it, it's wonderful and it gets busier and busier every year. And we can we can talk more about some of the things that we do to, to, uh, to make it busy and to increase footfall around the back of the hotel. But then, as you say, right in front of us, we have the, the magnificent Rose Kennedy Greenway, 10 years old now, I think. And uh, Jesse Brackenbury and his team are just doing increasingly wonderful things out there to activate the space year round. It looks fantastic. There are wonderful programs that they have running most of the year and obviously uh, particularly during spring, summer and fall. And uh, it, it just draws people, many, many thousands of people to a part of Boston, which was kind of quiet before mm -hmm. they did what they did. So we're, we're very, very lucky. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about the uh, wonderful programming you have in back of the hotel on the water. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, you and I are here together. It's a summer day. Yes. And um, summer's a special time behind the Boston Harbor Hotel. It is. Um, it is. Depending for... on the night of the week, there's a, either a different band or, or right. a uh, movie. That's right. For about 20 years now, uh, we have been doing summer in the city at the hotel. And the program has been expanding over the years. So you're, you're right. From uh, the beginning of June, uh, right through the very end of August, maybe the first week of September, uh, we have concerts, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays uh, at the back of the hotel. And then we show a movie on a Friday night, um, usually a kid-friendly movie or maybe an oldie that people love. And uh, the word has spread about this over the years. It has quite the following. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will see many, many hundreds of people uh, pass through 
uh, and uh, enjoy the food, enjoy the drink, or maybe just enjoy the music. You know, it's a, it's a public space. We obviously have our restaurant seating out there too, both at our Sea Grill, which is on the, the upper level, and the, the Harbour Walk Terrace, which kind of skirts the water at the lower level. But we have plenty of free seating as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you may be familiar, there are steps there behind us. We give out free cushions for people to sit on there. So people do bring their own food and non-alcoholic beverages. And then people can also sit at, at our seats as well. So we, we do our best to keep the to keep the uh, the Harbour Walk active and moving and, and vibrant and to attract as many people there as we can. Yeah, it's so much fun. Um, if, if, if folks haven't gone there, they, they can look at your website and, and right. find the schedule of programming. And That's right. It's a, uh, That's right. Or just come along. Many people just, just come along. We yeah. find that once the music starts at six in the evening, People kind of hear Draws it. people it's in. It's like yeah. a magnet. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. So um, another very exciting thing for the Boston Harbor Hotel is the new John Adams presidential suite. Um, right. We had uh, we, we actually talked about it uh, briefly on um, Cayenne Isaacson and Cosmo Macero host a, a segment on our weekly podcast called 321 Go. And right. uh, Cayenne talked about what... What that means to the city, and and offer to uh, take a stay there some night if <laughs> if, if if that would help. She's but, not the only. <laughs> <laughs> so you recently unveiled the suite. Um, we tell did. us about it. We're a couple of weeks into it, and uh, we're we're just delighted with the outcome for 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 a number of reasons. It's a beautiful space, first of all. It overlooks the harbor. Um, it's about thirty eight hundred square feet. It comes with two bedrooms. Uh, that's the, the the basic offering, if you like. It can be expanded to four bedrooms, or in fact, we can add more than that if a larger group uh, wants to come with us. But uh, it it really has been designed uh, designed beautifully. We used a company called Smith Firestone and Associates uh, out of Santa Barbara, and they specialize in residential. Uh, interiors, not so much hotels, but more residential. And when you see the suite, I think you'll see that residential touch. It has a very, uh, it has a, a beautiful high-end apartment kind of a feel to it. Um, as I say, two bedrooms, wonderful master bathroom with a, a terrific soaking tub that's right in front of the windows. Mm. You can see right across the harbor over to Logan Airport and beyond to the islands. Uh, the bedroom is magnificent. It has its own private elevator. Very, very lucky that uh, we were able to use an existing elevator that we had uh, that stops nowhere else, just in the suite or on the ground floor. So for those guests who like anonymity and, and want to kind of just come and go without too much fuss, they can bring their car or their limousine perhaps uh, up to a, a private entrance straight into the elevator and into the suite. So that's a nice touch. It's quite unique and not something that other other hotels or suites would have. And then really the most striking piece to the suite is is the living room. Uh, It has uh, very high ceilings, a little over 20 feet high. Uh, It's a very large space. It incorporates uh, a couple of different zones of of seating for relaxation or for cocktails uh, or for work. Um, It has a beautiful dining table, seats uh, eight people. It has its own bar. And again, very, very nicely appointed. Um, it has the magnificent chandelier, uh, which you may have seen pictures of online. Uh, and one one thing that we wanted to do was not lose sight of the beautiful rotunda dome that we have in that space above. So we put in a glass ceiling around the chandelier. So as you stand in the suite and you look upwards, you look past the chandelier and you can see, still see that architectural detail of the dome above. So it's quite a special place and we didn't want to lose that. And then finally, uh, right behind you then is the uh, is the balcony. It's about mm-hmm. 900 square feet. Mm-hmm. 
Um, lots of privacy there, beautiful views. And in fact, there used to be a wall there, a parapet wall, and we decided to take out large sections of the wall and put some railings there in their place so that when you're in the suite, you have uh, beautiful views of the ocean outside. So it's, it's, it's quite a special place and it's something that the hotel didn't really have before. We had a, a, another presidential suite, slightly smaller and still beautiful up on the 16th floor, but nothing of this magnitude and it really opens up some new markets for us at the hotel. Yeah, well, I mean, Boston is, is more and more an accessible global city and with, with um, uh, you know, becoming a place where uh, there are great concerts, where there are um, great events happening, big conferences coming uh, to, right. to the city. So it, uh, it needs spaces like this. Oh, it does. And you've only to look at, uh, at the development of Logan Airport and all of the uh, international flights that they're adding. I think they just announced this week that uh, South Korean flights, direct flights to Seoul, are beginning uh, early next year right. uh, on top of many, many other very long haul destinations. So there are people, we believe, uh, coming from yeah. all of those places around the world who have a need and a desire for this kind of high quality uh, accommodation. And right. it's not just about the, the physical asset, it's about the services too. And, you know, we provide butler service in the suite and we uh, are doing our best to to start a, a dialogue with the guests long before they arrive to find out their likes and their dislikes and what they want included in the suite, uh, how they'd like to dine, if they need tickets for things, transportation, all that kind of thing, just to make sure that it's a seamless experience and, and very enjoyable for them. Yeah, I always found that interesting. I mean, I think this is about 10 years as of, as the uh, Boston's uh, only five-star waterfront hotel. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. We're and, very proud of that. And and. Yeah, it's one of the hallmarks of that is the is the experience the guest experience that you provide and and it begins with that making the reservation it does it does we 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 test ourselves regularly and often through the whole process that a guest has at a hotel from the the moment that they either click on our website or they pick up the phone to us right through the reservation process and then you know arrival and their stay upstairs and downstairs their visits to the restaurants their visits to the health club and spa and then their departure there are many many hundreds of test points that we check constantly because things need to be perfect yeah. uh, and we try to do our best uh, our best with that and we're very proud of our Forbes five-star designation no doubt yeah and um you also have a lot of uh, long-tenured uh, employees, a team of associates, that uh, many of whom have been there more than 25 years. We do. We're really lucky. You know, we, we've talked a lot already about the, the physical structure of the hotel, which, of course, is magnificent. But, you know, there are many magnificent physical uh, structures or magnificent hotels, I should say, uh, around the world. But it's the people, really, who set the hotel apart. And we're particularly proud of, of the team that we have at the Boston Harbor Hotel. We work very, very hard on this uh, on the engagement and the anticipatory gestures and on making sure that people are, are natural. Um, we're careful about who we select to come and work with us at the hotel. Personality is hugely important. We think that we can teach people to do all of the technical things, but you really need to be fascinated and interested in people and, and have this willingness to go above and beyond. And we, we, we do think that we have that special something at the Boston Harbor Hotel. You talk about people who've been with us for a long time, and yes, the hotel is in existence for 31 years, and I think we have about 22 or 23 people who've been working with us for all of those uh, 31 years. Uh, so very proud. Uh, people don't leave us terribly often, which I think sp speaks volumes. 
and uh, that really is 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 at the heart of the the character of what the hotel is all about. Stephen, it's been a pleasure to have you on, and uh, congratulations on, on the new John Adams Presidential Suite at the Boston Harbor Hotel, and uh, come back again. Well, thank you very much. It was a great pleasure, Hugh. Thank you. Thanks to Hugh and Stephen for taking some time out to talk about the hotel and all of their offerings. Up next, Two Minutes with Tom. OA on air. OA on air. With Guyenne. Two Minutes with Tom. With Tom. (laughs) Welcome back to Two Minutes with Tom. Tom, how are you? Guyenne, I'm great. It's always nice to be with you. It's always nice to have you here with us. Are we going to talk business today? We are talking business. Okay. What's happening in business nationally here in Boston? Um, well, first of all, the economy is really is really flying, and uh, that that always means even better news for the people of Boston because of our research centers, because of our in- innovation clusters, and because, frankly, you know, just a, a human capital. Um, amongst all the schools that we have, with with all of those undergraduates and graduate students, uh, that number almost a half a million every school day of the year in Boston. That's a, that's a major draw for companies, and we're becoming, you know, a headquartered city again. Following GE, we're talking about Amazon coming in, mm-hmm. which could become the next trillion-dollar capitalized company, and um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And whether we become the, the second headquarters for Amazon or whether they just bring in that center for robotics that they're talking about, it's 2,000 new jobs for the people living and working in, in Boston. So it's, it's a very exciting time. Well, not only do we have a lot of students here, but we've got a lot of smart students here. Got a lot of st- very smart students here, and we've got a lot of uh, younger people who, you know, are looking for the type of job that an, an Amazon can bring here. So it's a it's a very exciting time for a younger generation of workers. There's no question about it. So, have you? When's the last time you can think of that you saw like a, a business boom like this in Boston? It's. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen a business boom as long as this one has. It's now in its 12th year or 11th year of, 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 of ascension and it's, it's very strong and it shows no signs, frankly, of, of slowing down. Um, a, a good, uh, another good uh, indicator is, you know, the commercial real estate base, the technology base, the, uh, as, I, as I said, the, uh, the, the, the clusters of innovation that we have, not only in Kendall Square, not only in the Seaport District of Boston and, and, and Cambridge, but you know, for 40 miles going west and north, we have a high-tech and a biotech capability that rivals anything in the world, and it's it's really it's really a, a global attraction. The uh, the formerly town, now city of Framingham, actually is is quite the the head of biotech as well. So it is. It's not just Boston. It's no. really where Massachusetts is making a comeback. It's all those towns <laughs> that are that are west, somewhat south, but certainly north of Boston as well. It, it's an exciting time. So what do you what do you think that means for, for all of us who, who work here and, and, and live here? I don't. I live in a suburb, but I spend most of my time here. No, but I think if you're working in Boston or if you're working in the greater Boston area and, and you have a luxury of being surrounded by the research that's being done, the schools that are here, uh, the other companies that, that, that attract just, you know, a, a brain swell. Um, I, think it, I think it bodes very, very well. And, uh, and it means that we'll have a sustaining economy for 
a while longer. And our airport. Our airport is is we're, is growing, and we're adding more flights to, to new countries. And it's exciting, isn't it? Huh? It is. Forty million landings at the airport this past year. Forty million. That's uh, wow. it, it makes us one of the ten top international city airports uh, in the world. And it's huh. uh, you know we, we see Tom Glynn, who was just announced this week that he's he's leaving the Port Authority after six years of being there. Uh, what's incredible is what he's done to the seaport and to that airport, and as you point out, all the new carriers that have come in under his tutelage and his and his leadership, it's 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 really quite a shot in the arm to have that airport. A lot of growth in Boston, probably more to come. Absolutely, more to come. Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Cayenne. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Now that you've listened, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, our website, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And don't forget that each week we're posting editions of OA on Air Extra to our website too. That's at O'Neillandassos.com. Be sure to check those out. I will not be here to talk to you next week. I'm going on vacation. But the OA team will be here with a great episode for you. So I will talk to you in a couple weeks.